Hi, this is Allie Wentworth, host of Go Ask Allie. My listeners want more, so we are digging in. It's real, it's honest, open and unexpected, and sometimes amusing. You told me you chased him with a butcher knife (laughs) and tried to cut off his penis, but that's his version and everybody has a different version. Everybody has two two sides of every story. Exactly. All new episodes of Go Ask Alley release every Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Alley on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. Had a huge inheritance. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist. And police are hunting for her. She's left a trail of devastation in her wake. This is not normal to be outside her place. I would rather die than let her get away. Listen to Queen of the Con every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. How do you think the idea of a sophomore slump is a real thing? Yes. It does seem like things seem different for artists after the first one, you know, and then you're always kind of held to that initial success if you've had it. Um, And everyone's like, they better put another great one out. So, yes, I definitely think that's a thing. Oh, hey. Hi. Hi. Uh, Welcome to our record store. I'm Seth and uh, this is Tara. Feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. A thing about the sophomore slump to me, and I think this is, I guess, kind of something that a lot of people talk about, which is like, you have your entire life to write that first album. And then basically you have like a year (laughs) to write your second album. Like it it seems almost unfair in many ways, but it is just, it it is what it is. But what's fascinating to me, uh, yeah, sure. Sophomore slumps is like a thing, but no one ever talks about a sophomore peak or like a sophomore precipice, you know, like where it's like they actually excel and make like a a, a really good follow up. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think that's, I don't know, that's, that's something to, that's something to be explored. That's true. I never, yeah, I've definitely never heard anyone talk about it like that. Hey, look, it's Natalie. Hey. Hey, Natalie. Hey, what's up? How are you guys? Kid? Doing well. Uh, uh, Natalie, uh, uh, just mm-hmm. so you know, um, I've been checking out your stuff lately. And man, you're you're putting out some uh, some killer music and working on some cool projects and stuff. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, Tara, if, if, if you get the notion later, make sure you check out uh, pumashock.com because... Uh, Natalie's putting out some uh, killer grooves, and um, you know, you, you know, Natalie, I'm just a fan of yours. You, you make good music. <laughs> I and, appreciate uh, it. That's cool. I, I like the things you do. Well, I appreciate that. That's high praise coming from you, Seth, because you have really fantastic taste in music. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, another thing I, I like your taste in, Natalie, is video games. Uh, real quick, bef- before we, we 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 figure out what you're doing here and what we're doing today, uh, just tell me what is the number one video game you've been playing the most these days. Okay, so I just wrapped up the Final Fantasy VII remake, which was very intense and ruled my entire life for a while. Yeah. So now I'm having a nice palate cleanser with Paper Mario. Nice! That, yeah, that, yeah. That sounds fun and charming. I like it. It is. <laughs> um, so, so Natalie, before you came in, we were talking about 
basically the sophomore album. Like 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 what is the second album? Is is it a peak? Is it a nader? What what is this? You know, what's what's the idea behind it? And we were about to play the high fidelity game with the sophomore album. And I got I got my little stack right here. I'm ready to uh to shoot through them. You you want to talk sophomore albums with us? Absolutely. That's a fascinating topic. It's a make or break album, I think, for a lot of artists. That's a good point. Yeah, because like, if you make a great first album, it might be considered a fluke. But if you make a second great album, and especially if you push things even further, you're saying like, hey, check it out, everyone. I'm more. And not only am I more right now, but you can expect even more from me later. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a lot on the way. And that's, that's fun, you know? Absolutely. And there's also a lot of pressure there. Like if you have a debut album that's super successful, can you imagine the kind of expectation that's going to be placed on you to come out with something even bigger and better the second time around? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I've, I've never had success, so I've never had to follow anything <laughs> up. So <laughs> that that's a good way to go too. That's a nice backup plan. Mm. <laughs> Makes me sound like a bit of a pessimist, doesn't it? <laughs> Or, or is it is it is it an optimistic viewpoint to not have to worry about six? Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> this, now this is turning into therapy, so I'm just gonna hop right into my. Uh, it's too soon for that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hop into my top five list. So, um, when I when I was grabbing these records, when I was planning ahead for my list here, here's what I, I had to do because obviously there are almost every band has a sophomore album. So how do I narrow down? What is a great sophomore album? Like, 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 what was the criteria I set for that? So the thing I, I, I was using as like a narrow downer of a way to narrow down all the great second albums ever, because I mean, clearly, like every musician ever has a second album. And so therefore, there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of great second albums out there. So the criteria I picked to kind of narrow mine a bit was what is a great second album that they actually made a giant step forward where the first album is great and then, ho ho, look what you did. Second album is incredible. Way to go. Where, Kind of like we were saying, Natalie, where like, it, it, it delivers on a promise. It says like, oh, you thought you liked us? Well, wait till you hear this. And then they give you a second album and it's even more powerful. And you think, oh my gosh, this is so great. You know, so so, so that's that's my, my, my list. So the criteria for it. I will start now with my number five, which is the 2006 album by Grizzly Bear, Yellow House. So this album was preceded by the 2004 album, Horn of Plenty. And uh, like back then, that was when like Ed Drost basically had Grizzly Bear as just like a bedroom project. It was just him by himself. And he was just Ed Drost solo was Grizzly Bear. Uh, and then he uh, slowly gained more members. He got Chris Taylor and Chris Bear and uh, Daniel Rawson. And first of all, how, how ridiculous is it that Grizzly Bear has a band member named Chris Bear in the band and that he <laughs> wasn't one of the founding members? <laughs> just pretty incredible in general. But um, uh, I, I think the addition of those extra members, because especially hearing their solo stuff, uh, Chris Taylor goes under the group. Uh, well, it's not a group. It's him. Uh, Can't. Uh, C-A-N-T. And then Chris Bear, his new group is called Fools. And then uh, Daniel Rawson's solo is just the most amazing thing in the world. I've, I've seen him solo performing a couple of times. 
But uh, anyway, l long story short, Yellow House is such an astronomical step forward for the sound of Grizzly Bear to me that it just makes me really happy because it, it is just sort of like a, it's a rocket ship for, from Horn of Plenty to, Ye to Yellow House, rocket ship of quality. I never noticed the quality difference, but now I'm going to have to go back and look. I found out about um, Grizzly Bear back in the days of MySpace. Oh. Um, a friend was a friend like knew someone from uh, Grizzly Bear and I think I saw his profile or something. I don't remember exactly, but um, yeah, I became a huge fan ever since I heard them on MySpace, which is crazy. But I love, love, love that song, Colorado on, yeah, on Yellow yeah. House. Do you remember back in the MySpace days when you would go visit someone's page? And a song would automatically start playing. Yeah, you got to like pick your song and do all that stuff. I change my song all the time. Me too. <laughs> and, and, and and I also I I gotta say it it kind of worked as like a nice introduction to music for me a little bit. And also I I don't want to be judgmental, but I, I could also be a little bit judgmental. <laughs> you go visit someone's page, and you're like, oh shit, you got a deep cut. Look at you, you know. <laughs> or like, you're like, let me pause this immediately because it's terrible. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of that too. <laughs> So I have a question because mm -hmm. I didn't discover Grizzly Bear until much later. I, I remember the song Sleeping Ute. That was the song that really pulled me in. Yeah. yeah. And I think that came a couple albums later. Yeah, yeah. So if you're talking about such an intense jump from the debut to the sophomore record, does that jump continue through the albums or do they kind of maintain that sound? I would say that there are three stages to Grizzly Bear. I'm making this up <laughs> as I go, but in my head, this, <laughs> right. this sounds true. They have their initial stage, which is basically them kind of like turning a bedroom project into a real band. I would call that like their first EP and their first album. Then they have like this weird transitional phase where they, you know, like Katamari Damasi, they kind of like gather up all these extra band members and they're like, all right, let's keep rolling with this. And there's like a transitional period where basically they are the sound of the original band, but with all these extra elements. So it's like... It's like nachos with extra cheese. Like, whoa, where'd all these extra cheeses come from? So good. And it's so great. And then, and then like the, like the Sleeping You era, like when they get to like Vecatimist and Shields and all, all and Painted Ruins and all that, that I feel like their last three albums, they've been in the same phase, which is a very high phase, but all more or less the same. So um, if you are used to the Sleeping Ute phase, yeah, checking out Yellow House would be really interesting for you because okay. it's kind of before they got so big. And, and I mean that literally sound-wise. Like it's also much it's it's slightly simpler, slightly quieter, slightly um slightly folkier, I would say. Right. Awesome. I'm going to have to go check it out. Uh my number 4 is the uh, 2013 album Good Kid Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. I'm over influenced by what you are doing. I thought I was doing the most that someone said to me. Nigga, why you babysitting? Only two or three shots. I'ma show you how to turn it up and To me this was a a just fantastic thing in general. First first of all, I just love Kendrick because I'm astonished that Kendrick gets to be as fun and creative as he is and still be really popular. Like, I, I usually don't have a very good barometer for what's popular and what's not popular in the world, just because I, <laughs> I, I live a very insular musical life, because people I talk to also know about the weird, dumb things I, I like. So it's, it's like fair, you know? <laughs> but as far as I can tell, Kendrick Lamar is like legit very popular with like every group. Would you all agree with that? That he's actually like, he's an all-star, right? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Sure. Well-deserved. <laughs> Yo, absolutely. It, it, but he's also so creative and he pushes so many boundaries and everything. So um, when he put out uh, Section 80, his, his, his debut in 2011, I was obviously very impressed with it. I thought it was really great. And it's like, oh, look, look at this guy. He's so young. He's doing, you know... He, he he was already working with like these like deep themes and everything had a very theatrical vibe to it and it, he he it was it was very storytelling you know what i mean like it was very it felt like there was a message and a beginning and a middle and an end and he really structured things well especially for someone as young as he was when he was doing that and then good kid mad city that was his like major label debut you know like when he finally had like money and resources and, and all that stuff he could have ever wanted after uh, Dr. Dre signed him to Aftermath. And the thing that I really, really respect about him, just because, I don't know, I, I think music fans overemphasize authenticity, but I really like authenticity because, I don't know, because I'm a dupe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people could lie to me and say that authenticity is real when it's not, and then they can just trick me. But anyway... The thing I really like about it is that when he had all that new money coming into the into the project and he was able to do kind of whatever he wanted with it, he still worked with like all of his old producers from um, Top Dog Entertainment. Like he didn't suddenly be like, all right, great. Now, who, who's the, the big number one producer right now? Let's get one track from them. And who's number two? All right, we'll get two tracks from them. Like it, it wasn't like he was going on like a shopping spree with who's who's hot and who's expensive right now. It was 100% just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well. Thank you for the money. And now we're going to keep doing really well, but with even more resources. This is going to be great. And I don't know. I, I really appreciate that. thought it was pretty good. That's pretty smart of him, too. I actually feel like I, I don't know. I, I of course, knew who was, of course, when the uh, Good Kid Mad, C Mad City came out. But I didn't really start getting into Kendrick Lamar until To Pimp a Butterfly. And I, I don't know why this is, but I feel like the songs on Good Kid, Mad City were more like poppy, almost like pop popular mm -hmm. hits um, rather than those on To Pimp a Butterfly because they, I don't know, it seemed like he had more of a message or an intent to have a message on To Pimp a Butterfly rather than the, the first oh, two. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true, of course, but that's just what I took from those releases. But yeah, not, not, yeah. I like all of them, obviously. He's amazing. But yeah, it's interesting. I think what I like about Kendrick Lamar the most is that he's displayed so much maturity just out of the gate, you know? And and you talk about that a bit. Like, even though he had all this money coming in, he knew what worked for him, right? He had a vision on right. how to express his creativity. He stayed the course. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? And you hear it with other artists. They get picked up by major labels you get all these cooks in the kitchen and then the material just starts sounding really overworked and artificial, you know? Yeah. Um, but you don't, you don't get that from him. He just, like you said, he just keeps churning out the authenticity and I, I think it's real. I buy it too. Yeah. I feel like you hit the nail on the head with that uh, maturity thing. I think you can, you can tell, you can definitely tell his sense of maturity or his, his maturity level has sort of increased over time, but his authenticity hasn't changed a bit. Sure. The influx of money thing reminds me of Janelle Monet too. Um, a story I heard, uh, you know, she put out her first EP and had like, you know, some subtle success with that and everyone was really happy with that. But then when she put out the, uh, the Arc Android, um, that was when she signed to uh, um, Bad Boy, you know, with, um, you know, P. Diddy and all that kind of stuff. 
And I remember this story, um, again, this might not be true, who knows, <laughs> these are just stories that people tell, that um, that P. Diddy was like, oh, hey, you know, and, and if you need me to do like, you know, a feature on there, obviously you got it, I'll hop on and like on any track you want. And she was like, I'm good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I got the Wonderland Collective, I got my own people who I work with, I'm, I'm just going to keep working with them. Kind of like you said, Natalie, like if, if it's not broke, don't fix it, like, be just in just doing like a celebrity influx for no particular reason it, it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna make anything better like if there's a reason for it go for it you know like for example um pharrell on the new run the jewels album i never would have said oh you know what run the jewels needs pharrell but 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 it works exactly it works really well you know what i mean so you got to use what's right when you need it. And and no, and I think Kendrick's the perfect guy to make those decisions. And he he's doing it. He, he He's pulling a Bjork. He's being super creative and super popular simultaneously. And that's, that's unheard of. So, so congrats to him. That's a funny story about Janelle Monet. I'm shocked Diddy gave her the option. <laughs> yeah, <feel> like. exactly. <laughs> him being on your records is just comes with the territory. Yeah, no, it's true. It's very true. All right. My number three. The 2004 Fiery Furnaces album, Blueberry Boat. I love the Fiery Furnaces. They are one of my favorite bands of all time. And this one to me was like the one that like cemented them in my mind. Like when, when I uh, picked up their first album, Gallows Birds Bark, uh, which came out in, I think, 2003? Yeah, 2003. Um, when that happened, I, I would, like, you know, play some for my friends and stuff. Be like, oh, check out this band. They're like, eh, meh, meh. I'm like, no, they're great. <laughs> and then when, when Blueberry Boat came out, I could genuinely be like, no, no, no. Check out this, like, fucking rock opera they made that is just, like, so dense and so, so, like, obtuse but like welcoming and like catchy but like kind of like caustic to the ear like it's it's everything rolled into one and uh when that came out i was um i i was basically just floored by it and also the fact that it only came uh 10 months after the debut album like debut album here you go less than a year hey by the way that thing that we did before yeah that's great but this is like 10 times that both in length and complexity and lyrical density just everything it was just it was epic and um it definitely kicked off like uh, uh to this day a lifelong um uh, a love affair with the fiery furnaces love them one of my favorite bands yeah i love them too they're so you had me at rock opera yeah they're so <laughs> creative and i wonder because i didn't know that that uh sophomore album came 10 months after their debut which makes me think that they you know they're just such a creative family that they probably have tons of music just like piled up at home where they've just you know let's do this let's do this they have so much creativity they're just doing so much at home together or maybe not together whatever I don't know how they they probably don't live together but you know what I mean like they <laughs> are probably <laughs> teaming up on creative projects and just had like you know it all stored away. Well, now that we've gotten that out the door, let's go ahead and roll this other one out right now, too. Yeah. I, I've actually heard a couple of stories about that with Matthew Friedberger, which is um, basically whenever he puts out his solo albums, he tries to bundle them together because he, like, the way he phrased it when he put out his first one, uh, Holy Ghost, Language School, Slash Winter Women, it was two solo albums in one package. He was like, um, oh yeah, I had to release them both at the same time as a double album because no record label is going to let me put out like multiple solo albums because 
I am the unpopular <laughs> brother in an unpopular band. And it's like, wow, okay. And like, I remember reading that and going like, you're unpopular? No, you're great. (laughs) And um, and then like, I I think maybe a a few years after that, maybe just a couple, he put out um, a a box set called Solos, which I believe is eight solo albums in one. Like just, it's just epic stuff. And each disc is a different instrument, which is something AG Cook did like years, like a decade later. Anyway. Just such good stuff, and I, I I can never I can never say enough great things. He's about a cult. The fiery he's a cult classic. That's yeah. something to be proud of. I think definitely. See, that's that's the freedom you get from being the least popular member of an unpopular group. You have so much more creative freedom now because there's just no more pressure. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. That's so true. Okay, my number two. This is where we're, uh, you know, narrowing it down. This is, this is where it's like down to like the big ones. Cause like, you know, uh, it means so many others were, were, were cast off the list. Cause these top two are going to really like show you <laughs> what caliber we're working with now. Mm. The 1995 album post by Bjork. I go through all this Bravo. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously debut was a killer album, you know, 1993. And um, I mean, well, actually, I I guess I have to caveat this by saying I'm not counting the sugar cubes and I'm not counting the album she put out her self-titled album. She put out when she was like 11 years old. So, so I guess I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I'm ignoring her child album and I'm ignoring the sugar cubes, but Bjork solo adult post is clearly her 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 sophomore album and um that's not to say i don't like the other ones i do definitely but debut kind of hooked me so hard um i think a big part of it was the music videos bjork has always had the most amazing music videos of any artist and like consistently good and with so many different collaborators you know what i mean like she's known for the ones she did with like michelle gondry but she's made just as many amazing videos with you know every director like like do you guys remember those dvd box sets called like um the director's label and it was like all those music videos like there was like an anton corbin one Mm -hmm. and um there was a spike jones one and a michelle gondry one and uh those ones yeah i swear bjork was on every single one of those discs because (laughs) she worked with all the best If, if you were a great music video director you were gonna work with bjork you know that's just the way it was I always wanted that DVD. It's I think it's still on my Amazon wish list and has been there for like <laughs> probably years at this point, like decades maybe even. Are, are are they like all out of print and hard to get now? I, I don't know. I haven't time. even checked. I wonder if it yeah, like <clears throat> maybe it fell off the list because it's not even in print anymore or something. <laughs> but I always I wanted know. that it, DVD. I, it's it's great. I, I I have all of them because um, I think I got them as a gift for my wife because she's great. Um, but uh, no, I was reading a book recently and I looked it up on Amazon just because I think I was looking for like a different copy or like the follow up because it was like in a series. Yeah, that was it. And I realized the book I was reading was worth like $150 for Whoa. no reason whatsoever. Physical media is so hard to get these days. Wait, what book is that's that? That's crazy. Oh, it was dumb. Like, and that's that's kind of the point, too. It was a series of Sunday comics 
that Disney put out in the 1950s. Oh. It was just like a hardback compilation of them. It was it was like nothing I would ever think or care about. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's the next book in this series? And so I looked it up and I was like, oh, this piece of shit book that I'm reading right now is $150 for no reason. <laughs> Why? And it's because they, you know, no one wants physical copies. So they made like, you know, whatever, 100 copies and they all sold out immediately. And then other people still want to read it. Anyway, I thought I was talking about Bjork. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> For a second there, that's why I was like, wait, what book is this? I thought it was like a Bjork book because I have like a Bjork book of hers that I got when they had like a huge sale on their um, website. But that's why I was so interested for a second. Is the Bjork book the one that that she had at the MoMA where it's like a a career retrospective? Uh, Yeah, I think so. It's really thin. I I have that too. Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds crazy because like, yeah, she's had an amazing career. It's really thin. No, but it, (laughs) it is. But uh yeah, I'm I'm so glad you included this album on your list. I I almost put it into my list, but I didn't because I love debut more. Yeah, yeah. But I'm super into like electronic music and like house music. So um I love of course I'm obsessed with Bjork. So again, I don't not like post, but debut's my fave. So I w- didn't I didn't include it. So I'm glad that you did. <laughs> I follow it. <laughs> but I do wanna say the thing about Bjork's post, which I'm also completely in love with as I am with all of her albums, is that I'm so happy this album existed while MTV was still raging, you know, because of all of the great videos we got to see. And I probably wouldn't have been exposed to so much of the visuals without MTV. I miss MTV so much. Can you tell? Yeah. (laughs) Me too. I think I learned about so many bands from like MTV too before they, you know, back when they were playing like things you just wouldn't ever hear or see, but had music videos yeah. Oh, yeah. What One of my huge favorite shows for most of my uh, teendom, and I guess actually into my 20s, I guess. I, I'd have to do the math. I don't know. <laughs> but was an MTV2 show called Subterranean. Yes. You guys remember this? Subterranean, yes. Yes, I do. So good. I loved Subterranean. Every single time I watched Subterranean, I got at least one band I'd never heard of that I now loved and I mm-hmm. needed to go track down their album. And I, I just loved Absolutely. that. Made me so happy. Mine was Beavis and Butthead. Yes. Yeah. Even there. <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous. Yeah, you know, even... <laughs> but no, they did. They played such an eclectic range of videos and every time... I mean, I was a kid and I got exposed to all kinds of cool new genres and, and fell in love with so many new bands and groups I never would have known otherwise. Yeah, they had... They always were playing weird stuff you just wouldn't see on their mainstream, like shows you know on mtv but between 120 minutes subterranean and amped or amp i learned so much cool stuff especially electronic music that i wouldn't normally be exposed to in you know knoxville tennessee where i grew up so being able to Mm -hmm. hear like gus gus or you know gosh i can't even think of any more off the top of my head but chemical brothers even at that young of an age is just i'm so glad that that existed when I was coming up. Yeah, I think we were a really lucky generation because we grew up in the age of the music video. Yeah. yeah. It was a big deal. I completely agree. It, it's sad today um, how the majority of bands, you know, if they're just making videos for YouTube, th- their budgets are so much smaller. Mm-hmm. And also the thought that goes into them is so much smaller because obviously you can make a great video with like a very low budget, but it's more like the video is an afterthought. And it's like, I, I get it. You know, we're, yeah. we're putting our resources where we, where we think they're going to be best utilized and all. But uh, but yeah, I, I think the age of the music video is it, it died when MTV stopped playing music videos, mm-hmm. you know? 
Yeah. For sure. I mean, on one hand, it's like, yeah, we were so lucky. And the, there is a, there was a lot of magic in us going and finding new music this way or that way, which kids don't have to do these days. But also, kids these days are so lucky to have like AI and just like all these extremely smart algorithms to suggest things that they like based off of what they already like. I, that's so cool. So, yeah. 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 All right. My number one. Here it comes the 1999 Fiona Apple album, When the Pawn. So if you catch me trying to find my way into your heart from under your skin. Fast as you can, baby, scratch me out for yourself. Absolutely. That's a good one. So good. So when this one came out, um, I think it was actually back to the music video again. It was the the first thing I saw from it was the music video directed by Paul Thomas Anderson for uh, Fast as You Can, and I was blown away. I, I just I was like, what is happening? This is like so frantic and like powerful. And and clearly, I already knew her from Title. Like Title had already existed, but Title felt like a bunch of like torch songs, like very croonery and like I don't want to say slow, but it feels slow. You know what I mean? Like it feels lethargic. It feels like that album is like singing through molasses. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean that as like a descriptor, you know, like think about a song like shadow boxer, you know, like it's just, even when it's aggressive, it's very like, like swayish, you know? So, uh, after title, I I was down with Fiona Apple. I I dug everything she was doing, but I, I didn't like log her in as like a favorite she was just oh yeah fiona apple's cool you know but then when when the pawn hit <laughs> get it pawn anyway when, <laughs> when the pawn hit then i was like man oh man you are like on my list like i need to follow you now i need to see where you're going what you're doing etc cetera, etc cetera. what changed like how did you become this person and i will say i wrongfully attributed all of her like quote unquote new creativity and expressions and like bigness i gave it all to john bryan for like a couple of years of my life because at that point i was like what's the difference between title and when the pawn what changed i was like oh you got a new producer named john bryan and then when i heard john bryan's solo album uh meaningless i was like oh shit that's the john bryan sound you are working with John Bryan. Y'all y'all are like a nice little duo team now and you're making great music together. Keep on doing it. And then obviously I grew up and Fiona Apple kept making great albums. I mean, like her last two in particular are just nuts good. Like Fetch the Bolt Cutters, her most recent one is just insanely good. And uh, The Idler Wheel, the one before that, that's probably to me her best album ever. Like Uh, They're all good, so it's hard to compare them all. Anyway, anyway, long story short, she's amazing. And I thought that jump from title to when the pawn was really great. And I'm officially not giving the credit to John Bryan. (laughs) Because that happens too often with female musicians in general, is there's a male producer who comes in and gets all the credit. So fuck you, John Bryan. I love you. Um, It's okay. uh, That's it. We all know you're a John Bryan fanboy. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He's the greatest. But fuck you, John Bryan. Um, I recently just anyway. I recently just learned this is totally not about Fiona Apple, but I'm gonna go with it. Um I just recently learned that he was in the band uh Till Tuesday. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was but part of the whole in. like Largo scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. That blew my mind when I heard that. 
I was like, what? Hold on. Let me reread this to make sure I read it right. If, if you're in the mood for something in that vibe, look up a band he was in called The Greys as well. It's it's that same era and it's really fascinating stuff. Um, it was a super group. But anyway, we're not talking about him. We're talking about Fiona Apple. Yeah. <laughs> so here, you guys say something cool about Fiona Apple. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I love about Fiona Apple. Uh, you can really tell that she is a fantastic composer through her lyrics because she's clearly a poet, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think when you're composing and writing for pop music, everyone tells you to simplify, dumb it down. So it like fits this neat little syllabic structure or whatever, but she finds a way to just keep it, just just packs it all in, right? Everything, all the meaning that she wants in the lyrics as like a standalone piece of art. And she finds a way to weave it into the music so that it fits and that it flows, which is really difficult to do when you're dealing with complex lyrics, like as she famously writes. Totally. Yeah. 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 Well, that was my list. Uh, I'm very proud of it. I think it is watertight, but uh, I'm, I'm now very curious to hear uh, what both of you uh, are thinking on this subject. So uh, let's see, T- Tara, are you, uh, you up for going next? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, here, let's, uh, let, let's all take a quick little like uh, coffee break. Tara, you go search the record store, gather up your records. And we'll all come back and keep playing the High Fidelity game. It's been a year since my sister Callie died. Now I can't sleep because every time I close my eyes, Callie's there to wake me up. The insomnia's gotten so bad, I'm not sure what's real anymore. There's a shadow living inside my head. It's angry, and I don't think I can stop it. My name is Harper Hart, and I'll see you in your nightmares. Journey into your own subconscious and listen to See You in Your Nightmares now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sweet I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Okay, as a reminder, we're in the middle of the high fidelity game. Today's prompt is top five sophomore albums. Uh, Tara, it's your turn. Uh, What have you gathered up for us? Yes, I'm so excited to share my list with you. Um, First one on the list from 1991 is My Bloody Valentine with Loveless. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, Loveless is after Isn't Anything and the, uh, two EPs, Glider and Tremolo. So it's their second full length, um, which can be 
confusing because there's, you know, all those other things that came out before. But yeah, I this is the this is the album that actually introduced me to my bloody Valentine when I was in college, which, yeah, I know was way after it came out. Totally cool. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but ever since I, I heard them from that album, I've been completely obsessed. Finally got to see them live and it was probably the loudest show I've ever been to. And yes, I've seen Swans <laughs> and yes, I've seen uh, Sun and yes, I've seen um, Neurosis, but My Bloody Valentine, so freaking loud. And they, they give you earplugs on the way in, which is, thank goodness they did. Now, was, was Kevin Shields wearing earplugs? I hope. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like on stage? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Wonder wow. how like I wonder how bad his hearing his hearing is now after playing <laughs> the loudest how, music for so yeah. many decades. Now yeah. he just has to play it that loud so he can hear it. <laughs> I mean, and <laughs> I did have to sort of I had to take my like one ear plug out to just get the full experience, right? Like I had to know what does it sound yeah. like. It's so loud. It's crazy. <laughs> that's that's yeah. amazing. Um one one of the things I remember about My Bloody Valentine, and especially the idea of their second album being like their pinnacle, which I think many people will agree it probably is. Like, um, I remember this. I was reading an interview with Stephen Malcolmus, and he was saying how like Loveless is the Sergeant Pepper, but isn't anything is the revolver. Mm, and I was no. like, huh. Interesting. Yeah. And then he then he continued to say that he prefers revolver and therefore he he prefers isn't anything and I'm like that is interesting and and actually that kind of factors into him too like the whole idea of like I enjoy kind of like the proto band like before it actually gels into a cohesive thing he likes it a little messy and a little not quite there but showing lots of promise because I feel like that's the kind of music he makes like I feel like Stephen Malcolmus has probably intentionally never fully gelled into a final form. And that's probably what he wants because it works for him really, really well. So anyway, we're not talking about Stephen Malcolmus. <laughs> no, I love him too, but that's really interesting. And I think Revolver might be my favorite too. That's so funny. It's a great Beatles album. But um, but no, but Loveless does feel just like solid. You know what I mean? Like it just feels perfect it feels polished you know it feels yeah. it feels done it feels and, and like you were saying probably like with the live shows it feels like a wall of sound you know what i mean like not not in like the old like uh uh, uh what was that guy's name the crummy guy killed people uh which one <laughs> phil specter phil specter oh, right. <laughs> not in a phil specter wall of sound way but like a literal like yeah. brick wall just like punching you in yeah. the face but but like a gentle like gauzy wall of bricks. <laughs> yeah. And what's even crazier is that, you know, we've talked about how there's so much pressure to deliver after a, a first album that after yeah. Loveless came out and it was just considered so successful that um, supposedly Kevin Shields went sort of like Brian Wilson crazy for a while yeah. after that, which, yeah, that's, man. The second, the expectation of delivering a third album after your second, your <laughs> sophomore slump has just blown everyone out of the water. Wow. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Although I will say that when they got back together with um, their reunion album, what, a few years back now, MBV, 
I was mm-hmm. blown away with how good he he stayed. So congrats to them. They're, they're yes. great in general. It's so good, that album. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that they came out with that one. Um, so yeah, that was my f- number five. My number four album is Daft Punk Discovery from 2001. So yeah, this is after the album Homework, which was, you know, really good also. Um, And then Discovery just felt like, I don't know, it was a lot of samples. It was funky. It was housey. It was, it felt like a lot of really great elements um, just came together and they made this amazing album. This was right before the the robots came to be as well. They came to be (laughs) in 1999. September 9th, 1999. My birthday, well, not 1999. I'm way older than that, but (laughs) September 9th. Um, So I I like to say that I share a birthday with the Daft Punk robots, which is fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think one great thing about Daft Punk is it created electronic music that everyone could agree on? Because even people who don't like electronic music can go, yeah, but you like Daft Punk, don't you? And like, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we, we can all agree that Daft Punk is great, period. No questions about it. And, you know, maybe that'll introduce you to something else later. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe that'll be your gateway drug into some Ulrich Schnauss, you know? <laughs> who knows? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think homework absolutely changed my life. I cannot express to you how often I played that CD over and over and did a lot of dancing to it. Um, but I think what's cool about Discovery is they they kind of brought in that funk vibe, you know, that they're kind of known for now. Yeah. Yeah. More of those, those 70 samples, which I think is what really kind of set them apart in the dance scene. Yeah, they were so innovative um, on both albums homework and discovery. Um, actually in college, I went to like one, the first rave I've ever been to. And at one point I heard this song and I was like, what is this? It's so cool. I think it was one more time, but it was before the album actually came out. Someone had it. They probably downloaded it on Napster or something mm-hmm. that was, you know, those days. So I, it was like, what is that? What is that? And I kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it for so long. And then when I finally heard Daft Punk's Discovery, I was like, this is the band. You know, I was so <laughs> stoked to finally hear hear them again. It was such a, a magical moment at the rave to hear this song and then not know, know anything about it afterwards until this album came out. I'm with you there. I, I remember when Daft Punk performed at Coachella, and that's got to be one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen in my life. Just to feel the energy of that entire crowd, like bouncing all together, you know, just on the same wavelength. It yeah. looked yeah. like this ocean wave moving across the crowd. That's probably one of my more memorable concert experiences for sure. Nice. Well, what what uh, yeah. what what era of uh, Daft Punk? What was that show that you saw? That actually was more the the Alive tour. Wow. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Still, that's that's astonishing. That's amazing. Don't they have a live album of that? They do. And it bumps. I, know, I always forget about that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I DJ in Atlanta and for one of my parties, Club Soda, we actually had uh, a Daft Punk night 
where we just played like all Daft Punk and Daft Punk, you know, I want to say Daft Punk adjacent, but it was like Daft Punk adjacent means like Stardust or like um, mm-hmm. maybe Sebastian or something like that, uh, French, but they're all buddies. Anyways, it was so packed. Like it was one of the most like crowded, most well-attended parties I've ever thrown here in Atlanta. So it just goes to show like how much people really love Daft Punk. And also my, uh, my buddy Kieran, who was the owner of Music Room, where we had it, RIP Music Room. But anyways, we I was like, what can we do? How can we somehow recreate this like LED pyramid that they had at Coachella? And he had these crazy LED like pole lights that you could connect. We mm. didn't do, we ended up not doing a, a pyramid because we didn't have enough of those lights, but um, we did have some sort of LED behind us, which, you know, felt like, you know, we were tapping into the Daft Punk creativity <laughs> a little bit. It was nice. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was good stuff. All right. So number three is Weezer Pinkerton from 1996. Why are you so far? Um, so yeah, I love this album so much. It just feels sensitive. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, supposedly, um, Rivers, he was feeling frustrated by the limitations of rock. And I think he had enrolled in um, composition or something at Harvard, music composition or something like that. Anyways, after... Uh, he would perform with Weezer. He would go home and listen to uh, Puccini's Madame Butterfly. And I think he was just impacted by the amount of emotion in the in that opera, which is a tragedy. Um, but I think supposedly that inspired him. So, um, and I think you can hear that. It's like darker, sadder, a l- less, uh, less playful than like the Blue Album or even the one after. So... Well, and it's funny too, because yeah, Pinkerton is given the credit of being like, you know, proto emo for, for one of the albums that kicked off like the emo scene. So that oh, yeah. also just makes a lot of sense, like just like contextually and like what it was and what it became. And and, and I actually fully agree with you. I, I think Pinkerton is like pinnacle Weezer. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's the tops. Like, yeah. like not only did they have the catchy, catchy songs, but they also had the experimentation and the just like the odd decisions that fit so right together and mm-hmm. it was just it was just just right they did it you know yeah i feel like weezer's blue album is the most nostalgic for me but pinkerton mm-hmm. is the one i listen to the most which actually i didn't really say this in the beginning of talking about my list but i feel like that's how i that's how i rank things is by how many times i listen to them so right. of all the sophomore albums that i love Probably there are a lot. These are the ones I think I've listened to the most. And you can probably go and back that up with Scrabbles on Last.fm or whatever if you don't believe me. Oh, man, I miss (laughs) Last.fm so much. (laughs) I still Scrabble, FYI. So if anyone wants to be my friend on Last.fm, you can check out my charts. (laughs) Man, you just sang the word Scrabble made my heart so warm. Oh, that's hysterical. Like, 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 like. Now we got to talk about Last FM for a second. Yes. The only reason I stopped using Last FM 
was um so obviously when i was a kid kid um i had cassettes that was my first medium when i was a kid kid uh, and then i moved into cds and then after cds i moved into mp3 players and when mp3 players kicked in that's when i started scrabbling you know? <laughs> nice. and i set up that last fm account and i cared about it so much and i, I really really loved it and then at a certain age i'm gonna say probably gosh i don't even know it, it, it would have been late well no <laughs> it would have been college. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. At a certain point, um, my vinyl collection started really growing and I started listening to the majority of my music on vinyl. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a period there where to keep my scrabbles up to date, I would play my MP3 player simultaneously while I played my record player wow. to make sure everything was still up to date. And then at a certain point, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> I am wasting my life. <laughs> and like, I, I, because of that, I actually deleted my account because I'm like, I am making musical decisions no. based on scrabbling oh more gosh. than what I just want to listen to. And it was it was a bold decision, but but I had to do it. Oh, <laughs> you man. are adorable. I wonder if there's <laughs> I wonder if there's any way if you went and signed back in with the same email address or whatever, if somehow you still had some sort of like data backed up. Yeah, yeah, I should look into it. I have a I have a Weezer question for you, Tara. Yeah. So Weezer is another one of those bands I discovered through MTV. And I was all on board with the Blue Album, loved it. But I didn't really take it any further than that. So how would you describe their evolution from the Blue Album to Pinkerton? (laughs) Uh, Well, I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about that because I pretty much, I think I stopped listening after after Pinkerton (laughs) because I stopped feeling like I don't know. It's like my, I don't think my taste in music changed because I don't know if they really changed, Mm. but it didn't speak to me the same. And now you're talking post Pinkerton. Now I feel like they're like a meme of themselves or something. (laughs) And I just like intentionally. Well, I feel like, so the blue album to me feels like very classic rock. Um, but also 90s grunge, or not grunge, but like 90s alternative. Kind of just, you know, like, you know how in the 90s, everything, everyone was kind of like, we don't care. We're like, we're Gen uh, we're Gen X. Like, we don't care about this. And they had the most random, just sort of didn't make any sense lyrics kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was mm-hmm. the I don't care vibe about the 90s. At least in the I mean, think about like every pavement to lyric. Yeah, you know what I mean? Just exactly. just sort of like tossed off, meaningless. Heaven is a truck. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I kind of feel like, yeah. And I kind of feel like Weezer's Blue Album uh, had a little bit of that, but it also had a little bit of like, you know, not fantasy. I don't even know if that's, there's this, a dreamlike thing going on there, you know, holiday, um, surf America, whatever that song is called. I'm drawing a, I'm drawing a blank on it, but um, I don't know. Say it ain't so like there's a little bit of, it's like classic rock, but also this sort of dream, dreamlike hopefulness, playfulness. Um, and then you have Pinkerton, which is um, why are you so far away from me? Just like the saddest, mm. I'm tired of sex. <laughs> uh, those, they're just, you know, they seem more mature. They're sadder, like more depressing. And then 
what's after that like the green album and maybe then it's the green and that's when yeah, you know things like hash pipe kick in and it's yeah, like wait no why are you yeah, singing exactly. about a hash pipe beverly hills no i'm sorry oh that's yeah. where you Be- lost beverly me. hills was the end yeah yeah but i don't have the same yeah. amount of like i'm not making fun of weezer as much as probably people my age or even younger um do now but i think i it's because i still love them from a nostalgic place um and also brian bell he grew up in knoxville and so did i his dad is a professor at ut where i went to college so i also have that connection with weezer (laughs) and i think it's (laughs) what you know that's why i don't hate on them so much but i love their passion and their drive to just keep going despite what everyone thinks about their music Anyways, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no. They, yeah. I mean, their discography is huge, so yeah, yeah. I just kind of want to hear how you think they're how they're doing today. <laughs> I don't know. They have this like new Van Halen thing coming out, and it keeps getting delayed, and people are making fun of them for it, and I just don't know what to think, honestly. I don't want them to be made fun of, but maybe it's part of their plan. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, maybe I feel that's like part of the yeah. joke. Yeah. yeah, it does feel like they've kind of embraced something there for sure <laughs> we can't tell what they've embraced but it's I there can't tell, it's being yeah. embraced <laughs> yeah but, but like i uh, i remember i was talking to a friend about this a while ago and all right let's go back to when we were all introduced to weezer it was definitely the song buddy holly it was the music video by spike jones where they're all in happy days running <laughs> it around was, it was on the windows 95 cd oh, yes. installation disc right 100%. there with Edie Brickell. <laughs> and Here's the thing we have to remember. The first lyric to the first Weezer song all of us ever heard was, what's with these homies dissing my girl? Why do they got a front? Those are the first lyrics to Buddy Holly. So so therefore, clearly, they've been fucking with us their whole career. And maybe it just took us a while before we realized how much of a goofy set of weirdos they are. You know what I mean? Like... Maybe we we thought it was something different, and they've always been the same. We're the yeah. ones who changed, you know. Right. I heard once too, like they're going to take it back to Brian Wilson again. I heard once that Rivers Cuomo like locked himself in this like concrete apartment underneath uh, an overpass or something in California, and had like an alone time, much like Brian Wilson. I don't know if that's true. Again, that could just be some random rumor. But yeah, right. and, and I saw Weezer when I was 15 for the first time. It was like the first concert I could go to alone. So, saw them with Teenage Fan Club and That Whoa, Dog, which That Dog wow. became one of my favorite bands of all time. So yeah, I don't know. There's just a bit of nostalgia there for me. Yeah, for sure. All right. So enough about Weezer. Um, <laughs> my number two choice is so cute um it is whitney houston's whitney 1987 cute it's the first cassette tape i actually ever owned nice. uh, as a child so another bit of nostalgia here for me but here, here, tara i have to interrupt you real quick oh sure for the future, another day when we are playing the high fidelity game again. I've been thinking about this. Do okay. you think and don't 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 tell me what they are yet. Do you think you could name your first 5 albums you ever bought? 
Because I'm not sure I, if I, I think, could. I think I, well, it depends on if we're talking about like tapes or CDs or yeah. all, like records. Yeah, I, I think. Because I think also uh, being a kid from the 80s, you get records. Yes. And then you get tapes and then you get CDs. Now you're back to records because you're an old person. And you like records again. Anyway, I I think perhaps on another day, (laughs) this could be an interesting list, is seeing if we can actually remember literally the first five music albums we ever received, no matter what format. And whether that be a gift from someone else, or maybe the ones Hmm. we bought for ourselves, because that almost says more about us. Storybook records. Storybook records don't count. No, exactly. There's no way I could remember those. (laughs) No, no. Because yeah, then... Anyway, anyway, we're talking about Whitney Houston. Okay. So anyway, future yes. list. We got to do top five albums. Down. Yeah, I will. <laughs> anyway, wait, wait. <clears throat> okay. back to Whitney. This is her second album. What, I, I don't know my Whitney Houston that well. What's what's What era of Whitney is this? Um, this is 1987 Whitney. So it's after her first, which had um, so many hits on it. But this one has, I want to dance with somebody. Didn't Mm. we almost have it all? So emotional. Where do broken hearts go? And it was number one on the billboard 100. Uh, it peaked there make, and it was like, I think something like she was like the first female to achieve that or something. Wow. Oh, maybe it was all of the, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. My bad. I'm remembering this incorrectly. It's like, all top, all those four songs, which I just mentioned, peaked at number one, which made her the first female to have all those, like that many songs. Wow. To to go to 100, which is really cool. Yeah. I'm sure she broke many records oh, like yeah. that, but I don't know all of them. That album is fantastic. Like every song is just pop perfection. It was incredible. Yes. So good. I like how her first album was called Whitney Houston, and then her sophomore album was just Whitney. <laughs> Yeah. Like, let's Wait, not overthink it. One? Just call it Whitney. wonder what the third one is. My name's not Susan or something like that. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really funny, do just kept getting know. smaller. Whitney Houston. Wit. And then Whitney. <laughs> right. And then Wit. And then Wit. <laughs> and, then, and then the fourth one is just untitled. <laughs> she ran out of name. <laughs> no, hold on. I have to look this up on our, our, um, our database here at the store. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have to know because I'm sure once once I know or once we hear it, we're gonna be like, oh yeah, oh okay, right. no yeah, it's I'm your baby tonight is the third full length. Ah yes, um, from 1990. I mean, Whitney Houston um, is epic to be sure. Now, um, with with your DJing, how often does Whitney make an appearance? Literally every Saturday. Wow, that's killer. I, like like that. I don't know. Like like there's something about the evergreen artists who are good no matter what and will get people on the floor no matter what that just you know i don't know it just feels good if you it feels good the longevity that quality has it's just yeah. i don't know it's comforting she's so great ah oh, rest in peace yep 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 all right last one Ooh. uh number 1 fiona apple 1999 when the pawn hits the conflicts he thinks like a king what he knows, throws the blows when he goes to the fight and he'll win the whole thing before he enters the ring. There's nobody <laughs> to batter when your mind is your might. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand and remember the, that depth is the greatest heights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where to land. And if you fall, it won't matter because you know that you're right. Here's another speech you wish I'd swallow. 
AKA when the pond died. And you did that all from memory. I'm so impressed. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I was definitely reading that. Um, I, I also love that she pulled that trick again with um, with her, I guess, fourth album, The Idler Wheel. And then that one was oh, a super long it? title too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Idler Wheel is another one that's, <laughs> I don't know how many words. I was hoping you would give the whole title to that album in that comment. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I just thought I should read the entire title of this one just because, like, when's the last time anyone's even heard the full thing? Or maybe has anyone <laughs> ever heard? Like, maybe there are people out there who doesn't, don't know that it's, you know, this incredibly long title. Um, yeah. But yeah, When the Pond, dot, 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 from 1999. Um, Seth mentioned it before in his list. and We matched. We matched I, on number I, one. I know. I was like... I'm not, I'm going to keep my comments to a minimum so that <laughs> I have things to say when I, when I talk about it. <laughs> I, I feel I'm, like we yeah. should like somehow make a game within a game of like when we match, something happens. We'll yeah. think about this later, oh, but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, a, that's a pretty fun game within a game. <laughs> it does seem like it happens maybe at least once every time we do yeah. the game. Yeah, because yeah, um, if, if not the number one matching, maybe like our number fives match or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, a lot of what you said um, struck a chord with me as well. You know, title, I got that album as soon as it came out. I was a, I was a young woman in my teens, and so was she. And But I don't think I could relate to her the same way because she just seemed so mature already out of the gates, you know, right. like she was writing about these intense relationship things uh, that I could not relate to as a teenager. And then, of course, when this came out, um, it was even more just mature, but this time a little less sexy, more uh, melodramatic and angry. Yeah. Um, but, That's a good way to put it. Yeah, but and I, I did relate to it more, I did relate to this album more than title. Um, because every woman can relate to her lover pissing her off. And, you know, I just, you know, I thought you were a man, but you were just a little boy, like things like that. I was like, hell yeah, bitch, let's sing it. Like, I'm so mad. And actually still to this day, if I'm on a road trip and I feel like I'm getting a little sleepy mm-hmm. or like drowsy, not you know, I'm not going to fall asleep at the wheel or anything, but just, I get bored driving and I just need something to keep me wide awake. And I'll turn on this album and sing at the top of my lungs. Like it's the yeah. one that keeps me, keeps me going on a road trip. Um, but yeah, I love this album so much. Totally. That's amazing. But and yeah, we, we matched on number one. Good, good, good for us. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you could have a lover's quarrel using strictly Fiona Apple lyric? quotes Ooh, oh my gosh that could yeah. be really f- funny and someone needs to make a saturday night live skit of that okay yeah. everyone I, I mean go home I and antagonize you your significant other but only fight yeah. with them in fiona Apple right. quotes, and then Absolutely. report back that's <laughs> and, and you have okay. to use the phrase i thought you were a man but you were just a little boy that has to be right. in there just out of <laughs> that's yeah. required yeah you could start with, here's another speech you'd wish I'd swallow. Start with that <laughs> That's one. a badass way to start an argument. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Excellent list. Way to go, Tara. Thanks. Thanks. 
Well, uh, uh, Natalie, uh, you, you want to keep on keep this game going? Want to want to play with us? I do. I do. I'm intrigued. Excellent. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's all take a break. Natalie, you can uh, go get your records, and we'll meet back here at the counter, and we'll uh, we'll play one more round of the high fidelity game. You've been planning this for months. Hope you're wearing your long johns today, hunters. Gotta be nippy out there. The big day is finally here. Welcome to opening day here at Sportsman's Warehouse. This is your big shot to gear up for unforgettable at the Sportsman's Warehouse Grand Opening, Thursday through Sunday, October 14th through the 16th, off Summit Park Drive near Walmart. Or visit us at sportsmans.com. If you're a predator, you can see things that other people can't see. So you can be stalking someone and they would never know it. My name is M. William Phelps. For the past 20 years, I've been immersed in the world of true crime as a New York Times bestselling investigative journalist and host of the true crime podcast, Paper Ghosts. Now I'm hosting a new weekly podcast from iHeartRadio, Crossing the Line. Get ready for the uncensored truth interviews with top experts and stories of the missing and murdered you have not heard anywhere else. I mean, he was the master manipulator of coercive control. Every time a case is solved, it gives the people that are close to the victim a little bit of hope that answers will come someday. It turns out that the dead guy worked out at the same gym. Listen to Crossing the Line with M. William Phelps on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the coldest of cold cases. Five women murdered and mutilated in Victorian London. But trust me, everything you think you know about Jack the Ripper and his victims is wrong. I'm historian Hallie Rubenhold, and when I went back into the records, it became clear that the real story of those murdered women is richer and far more disturbing than we'd ever been told. Listen to Bad Women, The Ripper Retold, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, as a reminder, we're in the middle of the High Fidelity game. Today's prompt is top five sophomore albums, and it's Natalie's turn. Natalie White, hit us with your number five. Okay, so because I can't commit to a favorite, I have ordered my top five according to year of release. Oh, So we're going to start with the oldest. Oldest going to newest? Oldest to newest, yes. Okay, fair, fair. Cool. All right, so the first record comes from 1969, and that's mm. Joni Mitchell's Clouds. Woke up, it was a Chelsea morning, and the first thing that I knew, there was milk and toast and honey, and a bowl of oranges too. So what's great about this album is that it's over 50 years old, and it's still very refreshing to listen to. Um I feel like this is the album where she really solidified her sound. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that she uh, basically produced the entire album on her own, more or less. Um, and it's just it's just a good introduction to all things Joni Mitchell. 
And I have to admit, I, I'm really late to the Joni Mitchell party because I'd always had like a a respect and admiration for her. I, I, I'm familiar with her biggest hits, but I'd never taken the time to like do a deep dive into her discography. And actually just earlier this year, I said, you know what, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to play some video games, put on my headphones and just listen to all of her albums back to back. Wow. And it was a really, really magical experience because she's just, she's a spectacular musician, songwriter, just everything fits and she's got this amazing voice and what's great about her you can you can hear her her folk roots right because she's telling you the story mm-hmm. and she has a way of using her phenomenal voice to enhance that story right so she's taking you from these huge soaring vibratos all the way down to this gentle coo depending on what what's happening in the lyrics and the music and she's just she's poetry in motion for me i i adore joni mitchell I have two follow-up questions about your perusing of the Joni Mitchell uh, discography while listen- while playing video games. Um, <laughs> a, what order did you listen to them in? And B, what video games were you playing? <laughs> well, I started from the beginning, 68, her first album, Song to a Seagull. But to be, to be completely honest, she has so many records, I kind of had to crap out in the late 80s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, no, no. save it for another day. <laughs> I follow you on that. But yeah. I was... I was playing um, the game Grease on my Nintendo Switch, was, which was shockingly a perfect fit. Like hmm. it was doing this weird, this weird like parallel motion thing, kind of like Wizard of Oz and um, what is it? The, Dark Side uh, of the Moon. Yeah. Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, stuff was happening. It was, it was pretty wild. So I love it when If you want happens. a trippy experience, throw on some Joni Mitchell and play Grease. That's amazing. Uh, me and a friend of mine, we invented this game called Kotzi. Uh, based on the uh, the Philip Glass, uh, Godfrey Reggio films, Koyaanisqatsi, Poakatsi, and Nakoikatsi, where mm-hmm. what we would do is we would just turn on music and then we would just watch television because we would prefer to listen to music than watch TV anyway. So uh, we would just have this music playing in the background and watch TV on mute. And then we would just wait for it to sync up and hope it would <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and that, nice. That, that was something that we called a game. It wasn't really a game, but it was a lot of fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I love I love um, the album Blue so much, but I'm with you. I don't think I've really touched on many of her other albums at all. And I'm such a fan of the whole like Laurel Canyon vibe. Um but I feel like I've gotten more into it, especially as I've gotten older. I'm not sure why that is, but um, I've done my deep dive on Linda Ronstadt, and so I think, and Emmylou Harris, and so I think it's time I really dive deeper into Joni Mitchell as well. Oh, absolutely, you should. What I think is is super cool about Joni Mitchell is that she has such a well defined sound, but that doesn't mean she stays where she is. Like in all of her albums, she moves into so many different genres and she she experiments. And it's wild because she does it all so masterfully. You know, she's got pop records, she's got jazz records and folk and, and all of these different sounds and she does them all beautifully. I think you'll have a good time with it. Yeah, plus she's such a great songwriter. All her, all her uh, lyrics are just so creative. For sure. In the in the uh, Fiona Apple sense, she is definitely another like poet that turns mm-hmm. that poetry into songs better than most. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. 
Plus, and also the oldest album uh, that that we've mentioned in our list so oh, far. So yeah, congrats on yeah. That. Do I get a sticker? You do. We, we have not figured awesome. out the, the like bonus points and rules of this game. Like when you match, this happens. When you go at the oldest, this happens. You know, we get the newest, this happens. Ah, uh, maybe we can I'll be like bingo. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Another cool thing is that she painted the cover to this album herself. Yeah, because she's yeah, yeah. Joni Mitchell and she's oh. great at everything, so she can paint. Of course, totally. That's so cool. Of course, she's just that creative. Right. Wow. Okay, my next album, everyone knows this, 1982, Michael Jackson, Thriller. Like, come on, it's Thriller, <laughs> right? The most Hell perfect yes. pop album ever created. Every song is great, maybe except uh, The Girl Is Mine. Eh. I still like The Girl Is Mine. It's, it, it's, um, I do too. It, it's cute. It's just like, um, you know, Say, Say, Say. Is that the name of that other one he did where it was on the Paul McCartney album featuring Michael Jackson? Yeah, I think so. I, I really mm-hmm. like both of those songs for some reason. Like, like, like there's something undefiable, undefinably appealing and I, I can't put my finger on it, but maybe that's them. That, that, that is Paul McCartney. That is Michael Jackson. I'm surprised that this is their, that, that this is Michael Jackson's second album. I've never thought about that before. But yeah. I know, me either. That's crazy. He, he got to be, you know, the king of pop so quickly. Like, that, that's such a quick move, you know? Well, he, he'd been working up to that ever since he was a child. So <laughs> that's, the throne, that's the throne really was waiting point. for him. It's not <laughs> quick at all. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's it doesn't feel like it would be his second album because we've known him as putting music out since he was a kid. So it's hard for us to think. I guess it's like, like with wow, like Bjork, where it's like, you know, the Jackson 5 was Michael Jackson's The Sugar Cubes, which that's just a fun sentence to say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, the, but that, that's full disclosure: if I hear this, if I hear the song "The Girl Is Mine," you will catch me dancing and singing along. So, <laughs> you know. But no, it's all it's Quincy Jones, man. He's such a, a oh my lord, he is such a spectacular producer. Yeah. That man really knows what he's doing, and he just churned out the hits on this one. So, I, I had to go run over to the register to look this up, just because it's hard. It is hard to imagine, right, that this is the second studio album of solo MJ, mm-hmm. but it's not. <laughs> it's like his sixth. But wait a minute. Because he has got to be there. I, I was going to say, we, we have Off what? the Wall. That That's the album before this one. That's, no. But yes. <laughs> well, here. But wait, he Sorry. was still a member of the Jackson uh, 5, from, so got to be there, and he had Ben, but those he was still a member ben. of the Jackson 5. But those are solo. Are they? Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about this here. Natalie, list them off to us. What, what is the Michael Jackson okay, discography? Okay, okay. You might, you, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we, can we say post-puberty? Oh, post-puberty. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, also, yeah, okay, if he's like, sure, he's putting out albums solo, but he hasn't really embarked on a solo career yet because he's still in the Jackson 5. So, I mean, you could still look at it that way. So Forever Michael was his final album his final album before the Jackson 5 broke up. Okay. 
Okay, so which yeah, means that would off make the wall thriller. was his debut as a solo guy, not attached to the Jackson Five, not attached to his brothers. It's ambiguous because he is a child star in a family yeah. band. Right. I, I fully accept these copies. I mean, if you if yes. you guys want to if you want to cut it, that's totally <laughs> accept- cool and it's fair. No, but as no, a no, free no. as this- a free bird who's leave, leaving his nest in Gary, Indiana, <laughs> that is his second studio album. Yeah, yeah. I fully embrace this. I also, I do too. I really do too. But I honestly was just like interested to know more about this discovery <laughs> so i had to go not as any way of proving you wrong or anything like that i was just no you're, you're completely curious. right but my my cheat was that this was him post jackson five yeah and that makes total sense to me too <laughs> he's finally alone like mm-hmm. no moss jackson five i'm, yeah, I'm glad we sense. explored this but yes i'm also yeah. glad that we can all officially say that it's kind of like saying how like the name of Frankenstein's monster. We all call him Frankenstein, but he's not Frankenstein. That's the name of the doctor. But we're like, you know what? Let's just all call Wait. him Frankenstein. <laughs> and then we move hey, on. It's, hold on. Hey, it's totally cool. Excuse I'm, me, I'm completely full of shit here. I just didn't want to have to talk about Ben because it's not as cool as today. <laughs> all right. So I'm busted. I get it. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my gosh. Best response ever. Wait, I did not know that Frankenstein was not his name. Oh yeah. Frankenstein's the doctor, not the monster. The monster doesn't have a name. <laughs> What's the monster's the mo- name? He doesn't have one. He doesn't Frankenstein's have a name. monster. But that's what I'm saying. Uh, we all so as a society sad. have agreed that the monster's name is Frankenstein, even though technically it's not. So in the same way, we can yeah. all agree that Thriller is his sophomore album, even though technically it may not be. We have made the rules. We've laid down our caveats. Thriller is a sophomore album, period. <laughs> and you know what else? Mm. The customer is always right. <laughs> yes! <laughs> you win. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, depends, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually related to this album, Thriller, um, a friend of mine recently said, every album after Thriller is trash. Huh. And I was like, excuse no. me? I'm sorry. No, definitely not. Ex-friend? No. No. Dangerous? No, I totally disagree. Anyway, I actually like the I'm singles off history. Like he's nah, nah. The the dude writes I, good I, songs. Yeah, you can't you you can fault Michael Jackson a for a MG. lot of things, but you cannot fault him for writing bad <laughs> songs. That's that's not in him, you know. Yeah, I agree. Like I love Michael Jackson so much, and it's hard for me to admit these days now that a lot, yeah. you know, the whole problematic thing, <laughs> for sure. but. Um, I I love him so much. So I'm glad that you put this on your list, Natalie. <laughs> Thanks for keeping me accountable, guys. <laughs> a couple of cool things about Thriller, though. I think um, it still holds the record for the most top 10 singles from one album. Wow. And it is also awesome. the best-selling album of all time in the world. Wow. I think in the U.S., the Eagles took that title over recently. But mm. I think in the world, it's still Thriller, which is pretty cool. That's interesting. I'm actually surprised that it's the Eagles in America. We won't. Yeah, we won't yeah. speak of that. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just leave that. I mean, no hate to the Eagles. Yeah. They're, you know, they're fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. Number three. We've got some crossover again here. It's Bjork Post from ah. 1995. Of course, I would pick oh, a Bjork yeah. album. <laughs> The album is over 25 years old, which is pretty cool. I remember the day I bought this album. I had my my little cash and my mom took me to the big mall in Indianapolis and I left her trying on dresses in Gantos and ran down to the Sam Goody, got the record with the 
the girl on the front with the paper suits, you know, the disheveled hair and the little diamonds under her eyes. And I was so proud to buy that album and hounded my mom to buy something so we could leave them all and I could listen to the record in my room. (laughs) (laughs) I I definitely remember those moments of where you get yourself a new album, but you have no way to listen to it for a period of time. So you just kind of like pour through (laughs) every piece of it. You're like reading all the liner notes and looking at all the images and just kind of turning it around in your hands. And the anticipation is just kind of building. And then you finally do listen to it. And you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's another great part of what makes music great, you know? Yeah. I think that's why I'm so into vinyl these days because everything is digital now. And so I don't have, it's, of course I'm, I'm listening to full albums um, when I'm using Spotify or whatever else that's streaming. I listen to full, full albums, but um, there's something different with listening to them on vinyl. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, I, I almost feel like I'm more attentive because I know, you know, in a couple songs, I'll have to go and flip it over. Yeah. You're um, invested more, both like with your yeah. time and your energy, in many senses with your money as well. And you're, you're, you're saying, I'm committing yeah. to this for X reasons, for X dollars, for X minutes, you know? Yeah. I, th- I keep saying one day I'm going to have like a fancy setup with a fancy leather chair and just like the most expensive headphones. And I will sit in my chair and like read the liner notes and explore the vinyl. <laughs> but right now I don't have the patience nor the cash. Yeah, so most definitely. So in keeping with the theme, the reason why this made my list, it's not just because I am a Bjork stan. It's because I think compared to debut, it did make a really significant pivot to like yeah. a completely new sound um, that really solidified Bjork. And it's kind of the style that no one else has, or I think ever will be able to imitate, you know, she's just, she's just one of a kind. Mm-mm. The closest person I've seen. And I think this was only in places. Can you notice it is um, if you ever, every once in a while when I'm listening to arcade fire, Regine from arcade fire puts on the Bjork voice every once in a while and that's, I think it's cool because I love Bjork, but it is kind of funny because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, no, but you're not being Bjork. You're imitating Bjork because Bjork is mm. Bjork and Bjork has no predecessor. You know what I mean? There is no, there is no before Bjork. She was fully formed. There's Bjork and it's great. She's not imitating yeah. anyone. So by trying to emulate Bjork, you're not being very Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair. I don't know why I just thought of Coco Rosie as also being very Bjork-like, yeah. but I mean, not really. It Maybe it's just the, her sort of sprightliness, mm. her like childlike uh, imagination sort of a thing, yeah. I guess. I'm not sure what it is. Something like that, that Coco Rosie almost feels kind of like they embrace that as well. Totally. Yeah. Like, 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 a, like I, a, almost like a granddaughter of Bjork. You know what I mean? Like they're related in yeah. some way, but not quite a clone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't deny that she has influenced a lot of vocalists and musicians but I think even those people whom she's influenced, they're aware that Bjork is just kind of on her own, you know, wavelength. Planet. And they respect that completely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. She's definitely on her own planet. She's super sure. cool. I love her. Next, I have an album from 2000. It's Erica Badu, Mama's Gun. So <laughs> the much-awaited follow-up to Baduism, which was a huge hit, 
And I think arguably the defining album for Neo Soul as a genre. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine the kind of pressure she was under. But the cool thing about Erica Badu is like, I bet she didn't even care. You know, she's like, yeah, that that woman is following her own North Star to the end. So she probably just brushed it off her shoulders and went back into the studio and, and did what she needed to do, right? Her career has been so much fun to follow. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. She's just so brave. And she she just moves forward. It it might take the people a minute to warm up. I don't I don't think this album had such immediate success as Baduism, but it kind of came later on. Um, yeah. But honestly, she really couldn't have gone wrong. Like all of the ingredients for magic were already there. She had this incredible creative energy from her fellow Soulquarians, you know, who was this super cool collective of black artists. They were all making insanely creative music in Electric Lady Studios, kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so she just had all these fantastic contributors on the album from like Questlove to Jay Dilla, who I think turned out his funkiest beats for her single, Didn't You Know? For sure. And I think at the time, you know, I was young and in college, this album was really important to me especially as a black woman, because this album was kind of like self-care before that term was even a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And she sang me through a lot of relationship issues with the world around me and with myself. So I've always been very grateful for this this album and the vulnerability and honesty and emotion that she displays in it. You know, it's kind of funny is that it actually kind of reminds me the structure of how it came out and like what it meant later on to the Fiona Apple album, uh, the first one going into the second one too. Because like, you know, the first album, it's like, oh, hey, you got this hit single. It's getting a lot of attention. This is real cool. You're kind of being put into a, a, a like a, a category. You're kind of being pigeonholed a little bit. And then with the second album, you go, nah, all that stuff you thought I was, this world is bullshit, you know? And then just bam, doing exactly what you want, however you want. And you're just going to keep doing that forever. And uh, I don't know, I've, I've never thought about those two together, but like that description matches both of them perfectly. Because I, I, mm-hmm. I definitely thought like when I heard like on and on for like the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, so this is a nice little like VH1 coffeehouse type song. This is totally cool. And then the next time I heard Erica Badu, I was like, oh, fuck. No, no, you're going to like, you're going to like twist that knife. You're going to do some cool shit like whenever you feel like it. And that's, that's the greatest. Like I, I still to this day oh, yeah. never know what to expect from an Erica Badu album, and that's 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 mm-hmm. my favorite kind of musician in the world. That's all I want from music. Yeah, and it's another one of those albums where there's just no weak link. You know, the music is amazing, the songwriting, the vocals, everything's on point. It's it's fantastic. And what what's the date of this album again? What what year did it come out? That was two thousand. Wow. So it's actually very close timeline-wise to Fiona Apple as well. Because when the pawn yeah. was 1999, mm-hmm. that's, that's wow, interesting. Yeah. So they're the same person. Who knew? I <laughs> just <laughs> had no idea. Right. <laughs> Obviously. Have you guys seen that new, um, I think it's a music video, Erica Badu song with like MC Light and all these other amazing no, women? No, no. Oh, oh was gosh, it the cypher so, she did oh, for Brandy? the awards show? Oh, is it for... Maybe. Yeah, I, I think it was like a, a uh, online awards show that was on recently. Huh. Oh. And it was this hip hop cipher. Yeah, with, with Brandy. Yeah. yeah. I have to look this up. It sounds amazing. It is so amazing. Tayana Taylor. Oh, yeah. Her. Yeah. Yeah, it's really super cool. dope. Check it out. Nice, nice. Well, let's see. 
Good choice. If we're up to 2,000, how, how many albums you got above that? What, what number are we on? Okay, this is it. This is Ooh. my last entry. Oh, we are diving diving ahead over a decade now to 2013. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this one's kind of a coming from left field, but it's Kyari Pamu Pamu <gasps> Nanda Collection. I got to tell you, I love me some Kyari Pamu Pamu. Ditto. And <laughs> she skyrocketed to fame with her single Pon Pon Pon. Yeah. That very fun music video that everyone's seen. But this album, this girl is so cool. Like she's she's really up to something, right? It's very sneaky. She's got this creepy kawaii thing where the music feels like a parody of what the West thinks Japanese culture is about, you know? Yeah. And she's kind of like taking that and turning it on its head. It's like this clever performance art that turns the lens back on us, right? Um. I think the heart behind her music, though, is her producer, this this guy named Nakata Yasutaka. Please don't mock my Japanese accent. But he does all the writing and the production. And he also produces J-pop supergroup Perfume, who are also fantastic. But I think this album is really the, the perfect sweet spot for her electro-pop, kind of like super cute, super scary vibe. And the production's really tight. It's got some fun jazz pianos in there and some some horns and some synths. It just does all of the things, but all yeah. of the stars align and it works. Every single song is like maximum energy. I put this on when I do my morning jog and it keeps me going. I am out <laughs> running traffic, you know, and it's, it's great. You know what it makes me really want? Um, I would pay a lot of money for a Kiari Pamu Pamu uh, DDR game. That would be... <laughs> it would be insane especially if the visuals were up to snuff with like her music videos and her album art and all that kind of stuff like if it actually kind of felt like it was from that world too i, I don't mm-hmm. know <laughs> but but I, I like the way you described her too because i i also think of her as like she's adorably grotesque you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that that's her vibe and it's her music videos wow me like 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 there's no one like her when it comes to ambition and creativity and and execution and 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 plus like you were saying just like man just those hooks catchy as fuck like like that like yeah it's so much she, fun she's pulling it off yeah totally i don't and i don't think the album the subsequent albums do it as well as this one i just think this was the the peak the perfect one yeah the terror in that yummy candy coating she <laughs> nails it on this one <laughs> I feel like such a stranger. I don't know any of this stuff that you're talking. Oh, about. you got to watch a bunch of music videos. So, That's that. That yeah, I think to me a video. is the best way <laughs> to be introduced to Kiari Pamu Pamu is to watch like ten of her music videos because it, it really sums her all up so well. It's it's fun. But how fun. you described her is a little bit how you described Bjork as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Is there a similarity there? There is. Maybe. Yeah. Although I will say, um, I think a difference, and this is no slight on either one of them, I think Bjork is willing to go grotesque, grotesque, whereas Kiari Pamu Pamu <laughs> has usually an adorable grotesqueness. Like, like, like there's always a there's always a a shiny candy shell on the whatever's on the inside of Kiari Pamu Pamu. <laughs> yeah, and then also something that I was taking from not hearing this person at all. Um, 
is it reminds me of the Cowboy Bebop sort oh, of soundtrack. Oh, like that fusion jazz kind of thing. Some, yeah. Yeah, like a ja- this like, you know, Japanese jazz and just like kind of different. I, I guess, I'm excited for you. Different is the perfect word for her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for you to see some of these <laughs> videos because like you can only see them for the first time once and it's yeah. it's a good first time. <laughs> Well, nice, nice. Cool. We, 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 yeah, we had a couple of overlaps, but a lot of individual songs or, or albums there. That's nice lists, everyone. That was that was good stuff. Bravo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, hey, uh, all you customers in here, thanks for coming in today. Uh, but the store is officially closed. Natalie, uh, especially thank you for uh, not only coming in today but also playing the game along with us, because uh, you yeah. know. Fun is fun. We all like having fun around here, and uh, I, I don't think music music nerds get enough opportunities in life to just nerd out about music. So uh, we appreciate this, Natalie. Well, I appreciate the yeah. both of you. I'm, I would love to come back and do it again. Of nerd out again. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the store is officially closed. Uh, happy trails, everyone. Until we meet again. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Monroeville, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. It's the coldest of cold cases. Five women murdered and mutilated in Victorian London. But trust me, everything you think you know about Jack the Ripper and his victims is wrong. I'm historian Hallie Rubenhold, and when I went back into the records, it became clear that the real story of those murdered women is richer and far more disturbing than we'd ever been told. Listen to Bad Women, The Ripper Retold on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.